We're picking up the uh, resurrection story on Good Friday. And so we just took uh, communion, the Last Supper, and in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 24, it says this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, I want you to grasp what happened. Jesus stood up. He told his disciples all that was going to happen, that he was going to go to, uh, they were in Jerusalem, but that he was going to be arrested. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to uh, uh, die and be buried in the ground. And then they take communion together. And then the, the disciples get into an argument over which one of them is the greatest. I can't even imagine what was going through Jesus' mind as he just poured his heart out to them and he shared with them all that was going to happen and they start arguing who's the best. Such human nature, isn't it? And then in uh, verse 31, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Basically, Jesus tells him this, the devil's coming after you, but I've prayed for you. Now, at this moment, uh, Peter says to him, which there's a lot going on here. First of all, Jesus had changed Simon's name to Peter, but then in this discourse, he's calling him Simon again. Uh, that's just an interesting point of reference. Uh, we're not digging into that today, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, But Peter stands up and he makes this bold claim after Jesus says this in verse 33. He recites, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. You guys are probably going to have to advance the slides. I don't know what's going on. Uh, there's a disconnect somewhere. The, uh, He says, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Basically, what is Peter saying? Peter is making this bold claim that says, Jesus, I love you more than all of these other disciples. I'm willing to go to prison for you. I'm even willing to die for you. I am the greatest disciple. You see that? This bold claim of Peter's that he stands up when he's like, Lord, I know you've told all this, but I'm I'm there with you. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And then Jesus says in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Basically, Jesus is like, no, you're going to deny me. You're not going to do any of that. That's the modern language. You guys know what happens next. They go out to the Mount of Olives to pray. The disciples fall asleep while Jesus is praying. He wakes them up. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. They arrest Jesus. Uh, There's a little bit of a scuffle. And then all the disciples flee. Jesus is then taken uh, to the high priest and he's put on trial. Right? And we're going to pick up uh, the story there in verse uh, uh, Luke 22, verse 54. Um, says, then seizing him, meaning Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. So 
sorry, I'm, uh, our technologies is, is, uh, is different. So, uh, and then when someone there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Just leave it, leave it there, guys. So, this fire here this morning represents this. Peter comes into the courtyard, somebody kindles a fire, it's kind of cold outside, and while a trial's going on um, with open doors, everyone can see what's happening, they're all huddled around the fire. Peter's warming himself, and I don't know if you've uh, been around a campfire, if you've been around any of those kinds of places, um, it's dark, they didn't have modern lighting like they did today, it was just through the campfire, and as they're sitting there and themselves having this conversation, somebody across the fire says, hey, I recognize you. Weren't, weren't you with, with Jesus up on the mountain? And Peter's like, nope, not me. Brushes him off. Time goes on, and somebody else says, wait, wait, no, no, no. I, I recognize you. You were there because I was there too, and you look like a guy who was with him. And Peter's like a little bit more, more firm. He's like, no, not me. You got the wrong guy. Uh, that definitely wasn't me. Okay. Some more time goes on. Somebody else says, no, no, you were there. You're the dude who cut the ear off of the other dude. And Peter's like, man, I don't know what the bleep you're talking about. Scripture says he called down curses from heaven. He's like, I don't know why you guys can't leave me the bleep alone. Everyone's always accusing me of everything. What's your guys' issue? I mean, come on now. Who do you think I am? I'm not him. And a rooster crowed. And I got to tell you, I think what happens next is probably the most chilling thing for Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at him. Can you imagine? You made these huge claims. You are the best, the greatest disciple. You're going to go to prison. You're going to die with Jesus. You are his closest man. And now here you are. You've denied him three times and called down curses, and you're angry about it. The rooster crows, and everything comes back to remembrance. And at that moment, when everything comes back to remembrance, you look over and Jesus is staring you in the eye. That's a tense moment. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And then what does he do? He went outside and he wept bitterly. I want you to identify with Peter right now. How, um, how empty he must have felt at this moment. Gutted of his pride. Embarrassed by his great, bold claim in front of everybody of who he was and what he was going to do. And then utterly failed Jesus in every way, shape, or form. I mean, there's no coming back from that, right? This great, bold claim... You fall asleep with Jesus in the, uh, in, in, while he's praying. Uh, when he's arrested, you run away. And then you're here in a fire, and now you've denied him three times. Utter failure. Such an inability to keep 
a simple promise to not even deny him. I mean, pretending to be someone he really wasn't and now was found out. We call that being a poser. He's all that. And now all these claims of who he really is is laid bare before everybody else. He's really nothing. You're not any of that. Just a complete and utter brokenness at that moment of all of those things falling apart. Like every single thing. Remember, Peter left his home. Peter left the family business to follow Jesus. Peter had staked all his claims on following Jesus. He, this was the Messiah. He's the one who recognized, uh, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Remember? He was, Peter was all in. All that's taken from him. Jesus is, is now on trial. Uh, he's about to be handed over and crucified. Peter has failed utterly. He's denied him. Jesus predicted it. He's just empty. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt some of these things that Peter gutted of pride, embarrassed by your bold claims, your utter failures to not even just friends or families, but to God himself, your inability to keep promises, pretending to be something, and you just hope and pray that nobody finds out who you really are. The reality is, reality is we are all Peter in some way. We are all Peter in some way. Peter disappears. We don't see Peter at the rest of Jesus' trial. We don't see Peter when uh, Jesus is, is uh, whipped or beaten or the crowd is yelling, crucify him. We don't see Peter anywhere around there. We don't see Peter at Jesus' beating. We don't see Peter at Jesus' crucifixion. We don't see Peter at Jesus' burial. Peter disappeared. Peter ran. I have a little clip for you to watch. If you can. Peter! Zarek! 
comes running back from the tomb and she busts open the door and she sees the disciples and she says to Peter and to John, he's not there. It's empty. The tomb is gone. And, and at that point, they weren't sure what happened other than Mary was like, he has risen from the dead. And the Bible actually says the disciples were like, nah, we don't believe you. It's typical, isn't it, ladies? Anyway, <laughs> they didn't believe him. So Peter and John decide they're going to they're gonna head to the tomb themselves and see what happened. And in Luke 24, verse 12, it says this. If we could turn there for me, please. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Remember, we're talking about Peter here this morning. He's, he's disappeared. We don't see Peter at all except in this, till this moment. Mary comes busting in and said, he's not there. And Peter runs in, and now Peter's wondering, what's happened? What's going on here? He's not in the tomb anymore. And then it's not long after that that it starts to get circulated, hey, the disciples took his body. They somehow overpowered the Roman guard or snuck in when they were sleeping, and they stole Jesus' body. And, of course, Peter and John are like, no, he didn't. They know they didn't steal his body. But that's the rumor going around. So where do we see Peter next? Well, we see him in in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, well, why would they be afraid of the Jewish leaders? Well, one, they killed Jesus, and they were his disciples. And two, there was a rumor going around that they stole his body. So here they are, wondering, what the, what the heck's going on? His body's not there. We didn't take it. They're saying we took his body. The ladies are saying that they actually saw Jesus, but that's not possible. We know he's dead. And then an amazing thing happens. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I don't know if you can imagine. Imagine someone that you just love dearly, your best friend, a family member, and and they were arrested and executed. And then three days later, they show up, and they're like, no, no, no. No, I'm alive. Like the amount of joy Just the sheer joy of seeing them alive and not dead. This is the joy the disciples felt. But what does this mean for Peter? Sure, Peter's happy. The Lord's alive. Wouldn't we be excited to see any of our friends alive when we thought they were dead? Absolutely. Peter's ecstatic. He's happy. Jesus is alive. But what does this mean? I mean, things could never be the same. Certainly, right? I mean, at least not for Peter. I mean, he's not Peter anymore. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's what, he, that's what the Lord called him. And then the last conversation he had with the Lord is he called me Simon, which actually means listen. 
So I'm not that guy anymore. I'm, I'm Simon now. Certainly the Lord's not going to build his church. I mean, after denying Jesus and all that I did, I'm pretty much disqualified to be a disciple. I mean, I'm happy he's alive. I'm excited. This is awesome. But, but uh, my, my, my role here is done. I'm just Simon. So what does Peter do? What does Peter do? In John chapter 21, verse 3, he's with the disciples, and he says this, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Now, this might seem insignificant, this like, well, Peter went fishing, okay. But this was Peter's job before he met the Lord. You see, this is an indication of what Peter thinks about himself, or at least the struggles that Peter's going through. He's like, listen, I am an utter failure as a disciple. I failed Jesus. Jesus showed himself to me. He's alive. I don't know what's next for my life. Um, I certainly can't go to church anymore. Right? I failed. Everyone knows I failed. I made these huge claims that I am the best and the greatest disciple. And guess what? I was the best and greatest failure of all the disciples. So therefore, I'm disqualified. I can't show my face around church anymore. You know what? I'm just going to go back to my old life. So he goes fishing. Gets in the boat. His friends are like, hey, they do what friends do. Like, all right, we'll go with you. Let's go fishing together. They all hop in the boat. They go out and they go fishing. They got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I, I don't know what your profession is. Um... Or something that you're just really, really good at. But Peter had a family business. He grew up a fisherman. And so he decides, like, hey, I'm an utter failure as as a disciple. I have really messed up. I'm going to go back and do what I know what to do. And he fails at that. The only thing he's confident that he's good at, he completely fails at. I mean, how does he feel at that moment? I can't do anything right. Failed disciple, failed Jesus. Now I can't even go back to my old life and fish. I, I can just imagine. I can imagine the emptiness that Peter's feeling. I can imagine the frustration he's going through. Like, he failed. Now something is good at he's failed. I'm just an overall failure. I can't even go back to my old life. And then Jesus is there. And this... Miracles recorded that brings Peter back to a remembrance of the Lord that they throw their nets out after failing all night long and catch this enormous catch of fish in, in one try. And uh, John says, hey, that's the Lord. And Peter's super, super excited and he rushes to shore. It says he throws off his outer garment. He swims to shore, which is crazy because they say they're only 100 yards away from the shore. Like, just shows Peter's excitement that the Lord is there. And so it's awesome. Peter comes up to shore, and here's the scene in verse, John 21, verse 9. If we could go there. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish and some bread. Here's Jesus. Peter comes up on the shore, and what does he see? He sees a very familiar scene. 
he sees a fire, and he sees the Lord on the other side of the fire looking at him. I don't know if you missed that, but it, for Peter, it brought Peter right back to a familiar place. It brought him back to a place of failure. It brought him back to a place of denial. It was a reckoning with himself, because this is familiar. The last time I saw Jesus across from the fire, I know what I was doing. After they eat breakfast, Jesus looks across the fire. Let's just pause there for a minute. The last time Jesus looked across the fire at him, he had just three times denied he even knew Jesus, never mind standing up for him. And I don't know what, how Peter felt at that moment. Here he is staring at the Lord across the fire again, in all his emptiness and with all his frustrations. And the Lord asks him a simple question. Peter, do you love me more than these? That's a loaded question. And it's loaded in the sense of this. Peter had made a bold statement that he was the greatest disciple. He loved the Lord more than the rest of his compadres. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? bringing him right back to that moment. Peter's response is great. He says, you know I love you. He doesn't say, yes, I love you more than everyone else, right? Because he's been humbled. He's been broken. He can only speak for himself at this point. Lord, you know, you know I love you. And this dialogue continues. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? It's not a coincidence Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Here's the thing that we want to wrap this morning up with. It's this. This is the same question that Jesus asks of all of us. Do you love me? Because it's the question that matters most to him. It's not your failures that Jesus is looking at. It's not your bold claims for him. It's not all your successes and, the, and all the great exploits you've done in the name of the Lord or anything else. The reality is because Jesus is God, he knows you better than you know yourself. Your silent thoughts about yourself, he knows those things. The areas of your life that you're a, a big lie or you're posing to society and you're deathly afraid people are going to find out, he knows all of that. He knows your failures. He knows your successes. He knows... Your life is laid bare before the Lord. And the thing that he cares most about is he wants to know from you today is, do you love me? You see, Jesus proved his love to us. He came close to us. He left heaven, took the form of, of, a, of a human being, was beaten, crucified, and buried in order to take our sins away. He proved his love to us. And now he simply says, do you love me? I don't really care about your failure. I don't care about the disappointments in your life. Those, aren't, those are things that don't matter to me as much as, do you love me? Jesus loves us, and he wants to know if we love him in return. You say, why? why? What's this big focus in Christianity on love? 
It's because this, it's out of love that comes the motivation for everything else. All of our motivation comes from love. It's what motivated God. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he sent his Son. And so Jesus today is saying, listen, all the other stuff is, is minuscule. It's, it's minute compared to the main question is, do you love me? That's what I care about the most, is I want your heart. The rest of it will sort out. I know you're going to continue to mess up. Guess from this point on, Peter continues to mess up. But at this point, he knows it's my love, it's my heart, it's my devotion that God is after. Not all my bold claims. Not all my awesomeness. Not my, hey, I'm going to be the greatest disciple. I'm going to take the kingdom with Jesus. It's like, I don't care about any of that. I just want to know you love me. In fact, if you don't love me and you're out trying to do those things, stop. Because your motivation is wrong. You see, it's love to be with him, to know him, to follow him. And if you're trying to do those things and your motivation is anything other than a love for God, stop. You say, what? Pastor, stop, stop trying to know him? Like, well, God cares about your heart. You see, it's love that fills our emptiness. It's love that gives us purpose in this life. It's love that compels forgiveness. It's love that drives darkness away. It's love that restores our brokenness. It all comes down to love. And in that moment, Peter realized that Christ loved him and restored him and reinstated him to his purpose and that the name that Jesus called him, Peter, was really his name. He just had to grow into it. And every one of you here today, if you have given your life to Jesus, he has a name and a place and a purpose for you. And oftentimes we look at our failures, we look at our mistakes, we look at our big, bold claims, and we say, I'm disqualified. I can't do that. I can't be there. Jeez, I should barely even come to church. I can't show my face around here anymore. And Jesus says to you today, I don't care about any of that. Do you love me? He loved us deeply. He asks you as he asks Peter today, do you love me? Let's start there. Let's not start with behavior modification or wearing the right clothes or saying the right things or being all-powerful and trying to be strong in your own strength. Let's start at love, and we'll go from there. And that's what Jesus offers to, to us today. That's why the cross is so amazing, because none of your failures stand in the way of you and God. None of them do. And the reality is, for all of us, at some point, He's going to call you right back to that place. Jesus is going to be there and you're going to say, ah, that place is too familiar. I don't want to go there, Lord. 
And he's going to say, but this is the place I restore you. This is the place you find forgiveness. This is the place that you understand how much I love you. So let's not run from the fires in our life. Let's find Jesus beside them. And let's learn to receive his love. And may our only response be, Lord, you know I love you. I don't know if I can do anything else for you, but I love you. And you're going to have to do your work through my life because I know who I really am. And it's at that moment, it's in that place of humility and brokenness that Jesus comes and he builds us up and he says, no, you are going to be everything I've designed and created you to be. That's the heart I need from you. And that's the beauty of the cross. This, this ugly weapon of torture becomes something beautiful because everything else gets stripped away. And the, the team's going to come this morning in a minute. I've got a, uh, a, another quick video for you to play and then we're going to gather together and with one heart and one voice we're going to praise the Lord this morning. Because He loves you. And He's demonstrated that to you. And as Scripture says, He stands at the door and knocks. And His question to you is simple. Do you love me?